A couple quick announcements as we get those handed out to, uh, to the kids and others. Um, the Digging Deeper workshop for the ladies is this coming weekend. Today's the last day to sign up for that. So ladies, if you intend to, to go and participate, but you have not signed up, grab your phone right now, go to the Realm app, sign up, or talk to Jennifer Gunther today um, if you have questions about that. Uh, secondly, please be praying for our Sovereign Grace Pastors and Wives Conference that's this week. Our entire team's going to be down in Orlando. Uh, please be praying for us. Those are where a lot of connections happen, encouraging other pastors and wives, as well as things like the story with Feng Yung Feng Zhou. Um, some of that was stirred last year at the conference so that we would just be used as our pastoral team to encourage other pastoral teams. We've seen the fruit of that already. We do uh, desire your prayers for that. Well, you can turn to Psalm 24 as I get my water. Psalm chapter 24. How many of you like to drive long distances? Like, just raise your hand. You, you are one of those people. You love to get in the car and just drive, okay? Of those people, how many are the audiobook people? Like, that's your thing. If you're driving, you're the audiobook person. How many are the, I don't care about audiobooks. I don't want, I don't want people talking to me. I want music. How many of you are those? Okay, how many of you, I don't want anything. I want silence, loudness is at home. I can be by myself maybe. You just want quiet. You want to daydream or pray or whatever. Okay, well, the people of Israel would travel to Jerusalem for many festivals festivals several times a year, and they would probably talk, they would probably be thinking, they would probably be praying, but they would also be singing. One of the things they did as they traveled toward Jerusalem that we know of is they would sing. There are several psalms in the Psalter called pil- that we would label genre-wise pilgrimage psalms. Psalm 120 through 134, even called Songs of Ascent. They were sung as the people climbed the hill, looking at Jerusalem in the distance, towering in front of them, and they would sing these songs as they would prepare worshiping Yahweh in the temple. One of the most famous pilgrimage psalms is Psalm 24 that we'll be studying today. And as we read Psalm 24, imagine starting off your journey heading to Jerusalem, preparing your heart for one of the festivals to worship Yahweh. Your mom and dad or brothers and sisters are are with you. Your animal for the offering that you'll have is with you. And you strap on your sandals. You get ready for the miles ahead and the journey to the king, journey to the temple, the place where at that time Yahweh resided in Jerusalem. Let's look at Psalm chapter 24. This is God's word. The earth is the Lord's, Yahweh's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. 
Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, Yahweh, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. May God bless the reading and preaching of His Word today. As we begin this pilgrimage, we find this point number one, journeying through the king's creation, journeying through the king's creation. So the journey toward Jerusalem begins. We travel and we look around, and Yahweh's creation is everywhere. You take a step on the path, and you see the trees, the hills, the mountains in the distance, and you sing this, verse one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. The creation points to the creator, the king. The Psalms continually do this. We've seen this throughout our Psalm series, pointing to creation. They point to the goodness of the Creator. He is sovereign over all. He is king. He is ruler. The earth is His. The world and those who dwell therein. Do you hear that? The earth is God's, and those who dwell in the earth are God's. We must get this. We must understand You and I belong to God. You are not your own. Verse 1 could be summarized as this. Yahweh's ownership. All is His. James Hamilton puts it this way. There is no realm He does not claim as His own. I love the William, I mean, sorry, Abraham Kuyper uh, quote. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. And it's not a selfish mind like the two-year-old, mine. No, it really is his. The earth is the Lord's, the world and those who dwell therein. Verse 2, for he, Yahweh, has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So the original chaos is put into order at creation. God spoke and there was light. There was an expanse of waters. There was dry land and vegetation and sun and moon. And there's animals in the ocean and animals on the land. And then God spoke and made humanity from the dust of the earth. God lays the foundation of the earth. And one scholar calls God the great, powerful stonemason. God laid the foundation with strength and with precision. Creation shows the power of God and the orderliness of our Creator. Well, friends, two weeks ago we studied Psalm 95, and I mentioned that it is a good and wise practice to consider God as the Creator King, to get out in creation. So here's my question for you this morning. Two weeks later, how are we doing in that way? Have you slowed down and looked at a bird or a tree or a river? Have you marveled at God's creation and just people watched? Not judging the people, just, wow, look how God designs all the people. All right, so here's a little audience participation. We've got the kids in here. They're going to be cool with this. So what have you seen? What has made you marvel over the last two weeks in God's creation? All right, show of hands. Give me... All right, you back there, Andrew, go. Yell it out. Oh, you did it. Can you give me an example? Sorry, I might not have been clear. Example? 
All right, your mom will tell you. Go ahead, Crystal. Cooler weather. Okay, God controls the weather. Go ahead, Stephen. Amazing sunsets. Yeah, the clouds with the sunsets. Go ahead, Caroline. Pretty trees going down the highway. Awesome. Stephanie? Oh, varieties and skin tones. Cool. Right behind you, Stephanie? Stillness of the fog. Cool. All right, going to do three more, okay? You, you, and you, and then we're done. Go ahead. Houses. God created people who created houses. That's awesome. Nick? Huh? Mountains of Tennessee. Rocky Top. Go ahead. Yeah, no, Amy. Huh? Bunnies. Is that what you said? Bunnies. Bunnies are great. Sorry, we already did it. (laughs) Kids are like, let's keep going. God created, and we want to have eyes to see. This is God's good creation. We want to enjoy the creation, not just in and of itself, but because it points us to the magnificent creator. Now, the pilgrimage continues from just considering the king's creation to realizing that we're heading to the temple to worship the king. And when you realize that you are his, and you start to consider what that means to come before the king, the song shifts in verse 3. Point number two, considering the need for heart preparation. Considering the need for heart preparation. Look at what verse 3 says. Ask the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, of Yahweh? Who shall stand in his holy place? Now, the hill of the Lord speaks of God's presence. There's a link here between Eden, the original place of God's presence, Sinai, the mountain of God where he he gave his good commands, and Jerusalem where the temple signifies God's ongoing presence, literally on a tall hill. So who can ascend the hill? And, And we're probably talking about Jerusalem here. At least that was the hill and God's presence in David's day when he wrote this. But the question is not who can go to Jerusalem. That's not the question. The question is, who can ascend into Yahweh's holy place? And there's an acknowledgement that though God created us and we belong to Him, we are not worthy to come before the presence of the King. We're aware of our rebellion against this King, of our sin. And so we come to verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So who can come to Yahweh? Those who love the truth. Those who have stopped exchanging the the glory of God for a lie. Clean hands and a pure heart. Don't worship idols. Clean hands and a pure heart. Those who are not lying and giving in to deception. Friends, deceit and lying are a huge deal. God wants us to be those who love the truth. In our home, one of our parenting things, like you, and for you guys who are parents, you know there are tons of things you could address all the time. And so you've got to like pick a couple. Like here are the big ones for us. Two of the big ones for us are respecting mom. You respect my wife, kids. You know that, boys and girls. Uh, you respect mom. You respect my wife. And if you don't respect my wife, you've got to deal with me. But the second one is no lying. Like, we don't lie. And lying is a very big deal because it breaks the trust. 
In this passage, lying is a big deal. Deception and lying keeps you from the holy hill. It keeps you from God's presence. Verse 5 continues to say that of those who have clean hands and a pure heart, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now you start getting the aroma of grace as we switch to verse 5. The righteousness is a received righteousness, not an earned righteousness. The the clean hands and pure hearts seem to come to those who previously had not had clean hands and pure hearts, but turn to Yahweh for help. They walk the path of repentance. They know that Yahweh receives sinners. Exodus 34 reminds us that he's the God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you might say, well, Mike, where do you see that? Are you sure the psalmist is emphasizing the grace and mercy of God in this psalm? Well, I think the key is how David describes God, or I would even say how David describes God's people in verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Or in the original Hebrew, it would actually read this way. Such is the generation of those who seek him, even Jacob. Why does David mention Jacob and not the God of Abraham or Isaac or Moses? I think it is because Jacob, if you read throughout Genesis, is clearly a mess. The name Jacob means liar or cheat, so there's a line here. Jacob was a cheater. He is a mama's boy who doesn't really want to work too hard. He manipulates to get his brother's birthright. He even manipulates his blind dad to get his brother's blessing. He's really bad. If anyone needs clean hands and a pure heart, if anyone does not heed God's warning to not lift up his soul to what's false and swear deceitfully, it was Jacob. He lies all the time. He manipulates all the time. And yet, God goes after Jacob. God initiates toward Jacob, toward the cheater, the liar, and he makes a great nation, his chosen people. Friends, as we journey the path of life, we sing about needing pure hearts, and we need to understand that the only way we get pure hearts is is through God's intervention, God coming after the liar. And this psalm starts whispering even more of the intervention. The intervention is beyond what David, I think, even knew when he was pinning this. You see, in verse 3 through 5, it speaks of a man. It's singular. There is one, a person who ascends the hill and goes to the holy place. There is one, a man with clean hands. But speaking of more than clean hands, that original word is not clean hands, it's innocent hands. It's someone who's never had impure hands, innocent of sin, pure of heart, the innocent hands, pure actions, pure thoughts. Verse 6 says this one affects generations. The word generation in the psalm sometimes is speaking of a specific group in like certain years, but sometimes it's speaking of certain types of people. It will use the term like generation of the wicked, talking about all the wicked. This is speaking generation of the righteous, all the righteous. And these are people seeking Yahweh. Not those of the seed of the serpent, but those of the seed of the woman. In Genesis chapter 3, 
This innocent, pure individual brings forth a generation that seeks Yahweh just like Jacob. And so as we continue this pilgrimage psalm, we become aware of three things. First, it should be on the screen. First, we must be a holy people to be ones who ascend the holy hill of God. Secondly, we are not holy and we have dirty hands and impure hearts. And third, we need a perfect one to stand in our place and we need someone to journey that hill for us. And that one will bring with him a generation of former liars and cheaters and deceivers. Because he ascends, we can ascend. Now, who is that one? Look at verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Third point, rejoicing in the warrior king with eager anticipation. I love verses 7 through 10. James Hamilton, a commentator, says that the text just kind of speaks of like an eager herald who just keeps shouting. Like he's shouting at doors and gates. Like they kind of like take on this personal nature, these moping gates that are just like, oh, there's no one who can ascend the holy hill. We all have impure hands. He's like, no, no, no. Wake up. There's hope. Listen up. There's hope. Pull up the doors. Now, friends, get the logic of what's happening in this text. James Hamilton states this. We seem to expect a righteous man to enter Yahweh's presence in verses 3 through 5, only to find a call to celebrate the entrance of Yahweh himself as king in verses 7 through 10. So who is the innocent one? The pure-hearted one. Who is the one who brings a generation to him? The king of glory, Yahweh. Who can ascend Yahweh's holy hill? Only Yahweh. But how does that work? That seems confusing. I don't know about you, when I was a little kid in school, in class, and oftentimes in the cafeteria, we loved to have little riddles. Where someone would have this riddle, then everybody else at the lunch table is trying to figure out the riddle, and you would like be that kid who had the best riddle, and no one could figure it out. And you'd have to take that riddle, and you'd like, look at different angles and try to understand what is going on. This chapter, in many ways, has a riddle for us. Who can ascend the holy hill of Yahweh? James Hamilton continues, following on the questions of who has the right to ascend the mountain and stand in the holy place in 24-3, the call to welcome Yahweh, the king of glory in 7-10, through 10, seems to present Yahweh himself as the one who meets the requirements and will scale the heights and stand in the sacred spot. And yet would it appear in verses 3-5 through 5, that the worthy one can be distinguished from Yahweh. Get this next sentence. Perhaps the resolution of the riddle would await the birth of a babe in Bethlehem. Friends, the individual who ascends the holy hill is none other than Yahweh incarnate, God the Son. 
Jesus Christ, the innocent one without sin. He is the pure-hearted one, the king of kings. He was born in Bethlehem, and 30 years later he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king of glory comes, Emmanuel, God with us. And what, is verses, what do verses 7 through 10 emphasize about our king? He is strong and mighty. He is mighty in battle. He is a warrior king. Friends, we must understand, yes, Jesus is gentle and lowly toward his people. But he's also a warrior against sin and death and Satan and hell. He has battled for his people, and he will battle for his people again. He battled on the cross by absorbing the wrath that we deserved. It was placed on himself. He battled in the grave by raising and conquering death. And he will return on his war horse, judging the living and the dead. Friends, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. All will bow to King Jesus. We'll either bow in joyful submission to our king, beholding him, or we will bow with for, forceful recognition of the king. All will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We will live eternally loving and worshiping the king, or we will live eternally being opposed by the king. And friends, if you don't know Jesus as your king, I encourage you to stop your loyalty to yourself, to your own kingdom, and surrender to the real king. Stop living with unclean hands and impure hearts. Stop exchanging the truth of God for a lie. You're living a lie. You will know that eventually if you don't know that now. Start trusting King Jesus as your Savior. You can do that today, even in your seat, praying and asking God to save you through Jesus Christ. For those of us who know Christ as our Savior, there's a massive encouragement in this text in verse 10. It says this, Who is this King of glory? The Lord, Yahweh of hosts, He is the King of glory. First time I read through that, I was like, yeah, Yahweh of hosts, Lord of hosts, that's great. My mind automatically went to Lord of, like, angel armies. I'm going to sing the Chris Tomlin song. Like, you know, something like that. I was like, that's probably what it means. But as I kept studying it, many commentators think, no, that's not talking about angel armies. In Exodus and other places, hosts sometimes is angels, but sometimes it's God's people. So hosts in verse 10, they think, points back to verse 6, the generation of those who seek him. If that's the case, the army is following the warrior king up the hill. The army following and ascending the holy hill of God, following Yahweh incarnate, is us. Like, that's our place. We're following King Jesus. All God's people are following King Jesus to the holy hill of God. We aren't able to do this on our own. We're not able to ascend the holy hill by ourselves. We aren't able on our own to have clean hands or on our own to have pure hearts. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were de dead in our trespasses, made us alive, what? What? 
together with Christ. The army following the king. So now we, Christ's army, with the armor of Christ, the armor of God on, march behind the king of glory, our warrior king. So Psalm 24 shows us this. Jesus is the long-awaited king of glory who brings his sin-forgiven, holy, living, praise-singing army to his holy place, to his holy hill. Who can ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Only Yahweh and all that are in Yahweh, all that are in Christ Jesus the Lord. The psalmist yells to the moping gates and downcast doors, wake up, the king is coming. A risen, risen hope, we we may be less like the army, and some of us are more like moping gates. Friends, are, are we the moping, the downcast, the lethargic, the apathetic? Or are we those with courage and boldness going behind King Jesus, knowing he's the lead blocker, he's going, and we're behind him? going to the holy hill of God, going to our eternal hope of the celestial city, going in Christ because we are forgiven because of Christ, not because we have holy hands or pure hearts, but he gives us his righteousness. He grants us his righteousness through the cross and resurrection. Friends, this pilgrimage psalm pleads for us to wake up. Christopher, you can come on up. Friends, this pilgrimage song is not just the song for your road trip playlist to hum along to. One author calls this psalm a battle cry for the church. A battle cry for the church. We have a king, and we are called to respond to him appropriately. What would an awakened church following King Jesus, the King of glory, look like? What would an enlivened, battle-ready church look like? Two things. A church who cares about holiness. Christ died for our unclean hands and our impure hearts, friends. So anything that gets in the way any lies or deception that we're believing, that we're holding on to, we need to take that to the king. Repent of that. Flee impurity. Flee lies. Confess our sin to God and to each other. Friends, there's a holiness that God's people are called to. We flee sensuality of the prodigal son. We flee legalism of the older brother. We're a people who are quick to repent a people who are quick to forgive, a people who take seriously the words of our Savior that says, be holy as I am holy, that walk toward holiness. And we lay down whatever God says. Where we've been impure this week, this morning, we lay down like, Lord, forgive me again for the impure thought, the, the unkind comment, the complaining heart. Forgive me again. Friends, it's a church that cares about individual holiness, but it cares about us as a church being holy, honoring the Lord. Secondly, an enlivened, battle-ready church is passionate in praising our King. The King of glory. We're like that overjoyed herald yelling at gates, 
yelling at doors, tell them to wake up. We, we plead, sleepy Christian, awaken from your slumber. The King of glory is coming. We plead with lost family members and friends and neighbors, bow to the King of glory. And we worship and sing. We want to be the generation that seeks the God of Jacob. Friends, we want to be the generation that seeks the God of Jacob. Friends, today we're going to close by singing a song, singing a song that is based on this psalm. And my prayer is that we would respond appropriately appropriately with joy, appropriately with repentance, appropriately maybe for some of us with tears, some others eager anticipation. The king is on the move. Oh God, let us be the generation that seeks you. Oh God of Jacob, let's stand together and let us sing.